Hello and welcome to the Granter Podcast. I'm Ted Hodgkinson, the online editor, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Stamm, the author of several novels, including most recently, Seven Years. We'll talk about imagining his characters as buildings, his desire to have a room full of ugly objects, and whether he believes that people in his fiction and in life can change. But first a reading. I saw a woman reading a couple of tables away in the shadow of a big linden tree. She was probably our age, but she was completely unattractive. Her face was puffy, and she wore her, her mid-length hair loose. Presumably she had gotten a perm some time ago, but it had grown out and her hair was hanging in her face. Her clothing looked cheap and worn. She had on a brown corduroy skirt, a patterned blouse and wishy-washy pastel colors, and a scarf around her neck. Her nose was reddened, and a few crumpled-up tissues were on the table in front of her. While I was still taking her in, she looked up, and our glances met. Her face twisted into an anxious smile, and in a sort of reflex I smiled back. She lowered her eyes, but even her shyness seemed inappropriate and disagreeably flirtatious. "'Women are helpless in the face of his charms,' said Ferdy. "'He'll never get here. He'll never get her,' said Rüdiger. "'You want a bet?' Before I could answer, he went on. I bet you don't get her. There was something sad about his eyes now. I said I'd would, I wouldn't even take her if she was offered. Well, we'll just have to see about that, said Ferdy, getting to his feet. The woman was watching us again. When she saw Ferdy making straight for her, her expression changed to a mixture of dread and expectations. He's mad, I groaned and turned away. The whole thing was embarrassing to me already. I looked around for the waitress. Surely you won't bait at this stage, said Rüdiger. Come on, be a man. What's the sense of this, I said, and stretched my legs. My good mood was gone. I felt useless and rotten, and was angry at myself. It was as though the voices and laughter faded into the background, and through the sound I heard the approach of steps across the gravel. Meet Ivona, said Ferdy. She's from Poland. This is Rüdiger, and this is Alexander. He was standing behind me. I had to look almost vertically up at him. Have a seat, said Ferdy. The woman put her glass down on the table and next to it her, her tissues and her book, which was a romance novel with a brightly colored cover showing a man and a woman on horseback. She sat down between me and Rüdiger. She sat there with her hands folded in her lap and a very straight back. She looked restlessly between us, there was something stiff about her posture, but her whole appearance was somehow sagging and feeble. She seemed to have given up all hope of ever pleasing anyone, even herself. Thank you. I think that's a great place to start. Um, Alexander, who it's not mentioned there, but he's a trainee architect at this point, but he will later become um, an architect with it and um, have his own firm with his wife, Sonia. Um, he seems to me someone who's imprisoned by exteriors, so he can't stop thinking about appearances and forms. And that when we first, when he first meets Ivana, and she's physically repulsive to him, and that there's this sort of paradoxical attraction that he feels, and that I think he's somewhat liberated by her repulsiveness. He feels as though finally he can relax almost, and that there's something quite primal that's unleashed by her. Um, I love the bit in the book when she presents him with this disgusting geometric pattern jumper 
Mm. And he... I got it. Yeah, you <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> you got a jumper like that. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I just, I wonder about his approach to form and aesthetic, and I feel like that reveals a lot of his character throughout the novel. And Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, many of us, especially... I mean, I live in... All my friends are in creative jobs, and, and we all like nice things and we dress our children nicely and we buy nice furniture and and it's all something on the outside of course and, and maybe sometimes there is like a a need for for ugliness for for real life or for something that somehow breaks this whole surface of beautiful things mm. i always said when i will have a house once i'll, I'll have a, a room of bad taste where <laughs> everything will be ugly i have a house now and there is no room of bad taste but sometimes might help, yeah. Hmm. And it's it's interesting you mentioned that um, there's a crossover with the jumper, and I, I feel like is this a, is this a story that that is um, that feels like it's come from a very real place? I mean, if it seems to me that it's very sort of vivid and tactile. Well, it actually was sparked by a, a play by Witold Gombrowicz, the Polish the Polish uh, author, and uh, that's why Ivona is Polish. By the way, oh. it's called um, uh, Yvonne, the Princess of Burgundy. It's mm. probably the name in English, and uh, where the prince marries the ugliest woman in his kingdom, just out of I don't know. He's just uh, he can have every woman, so he takes the, the most ugly, the ugliest one, and then uh, she loves him, and he doesn't love her, and she, he can't get rid of her because she loves him. So in a way, it's that question that interests me whether a person that loves us has power over us mm. and that was in a way where I started but then of course during the writing there came material from all over mm. into the book there's a moment when Alexander's talking to Angie later in the book and he says that that's her that's why he doesn't feel sorry for Ivana because she loves and it's worse to not love I think that's quite near the end of the book and um don't want to give too much away, but I, it's interesting that you raise that question of um, loving and Alexander being an almost princely figure in that he seemingly can have whoever he likes, and that doesn't always translate in his universe to um, the sort of socially acceptable person. And on the face of it, Ivana comes off terribly from this situation from this story but there's this curious belief that Alexander has that she's somehow the lucky one yeah maybe she is I don't know it's, that's his opinion at that point of the story I, I wouldn't want to give my opinion because I, I'm just not sure but mm. it seems that I sometimes compared her to a, to a saint or a nun and there is the same thing a nun is married to Jesus and she obviously doesn't get him. I mean, not in this life. Mm. But they are still somehow seem to be happy with that. They seem to be. It seems to be enough just to to love and not be loved back. Well, they might think they are loved back, but they might. In my non-Christian world, I would say it's mainly their love that makes them go on. Mm. And that's for me. That was Ivona. It's interesting that she's a Catholic. You mentioned God a second ago. I. That's one of the most disturbing aspects of the book for me is the way that um, Alexander in some ways kind of removes God from her life or he, he removes religion from her life by um, having sex with her and, and continuing a carnal relationship with her. And I wonder um, 
is it, where did that seed come from? Where did the Catholic seed come from? And did um, when you were writing the character was that sort of Ivana's last kind of bastion? I mean, it's something that it's something that can be taken from her because otherwise she's really she's got absolutely no self esteem and she doesn't really um, uh, have a lot for for Alex mm. to take and accept this Catholicism. This last thing, yeah. Well, I mean, once she was Polish, she had to be a Catholic, obviously, as mm. they all are. But uh, I think that's exactly what what interested me that she's someone that you, that's really very down below. You can't take away anything from her. So she, the only thing she has is her love. That's that's and her, her belief in the, in in the beginning. I guess she somehow stays a believer, even though I mean, she goes through all these uh, stages of. Uh, she would probably call it a uh, sin mm. and uh, but I think Catholicism was to me more somehow an image of of her way of loving Alex mm. she somehow chooses him we don't really know why she chose him and then she just sticks to him somehow so I wouldn't see her as a victim because it's really her choice and mm. she could go away I mean she wouldn't have to f come back to him all the time mm. I, I want to talk a little bit about her her reading as well, because in that extract you read that she's reading romances, and um, her sister later in the novel talks about how that's all she reads, and it's a combination of romance novels and the Bible. And Alex says at one point that he hasn't read a novel in years, and that I felt like there was this interesting connection between them there, and that Ivana's attitude towards Alex seems to be in least in part um, shaped by her attitude to romance or her love of romance novels and Alex who at times feels like he wants nothing more than just kind of blankness and, and the opposite of social trappings hasn't read a novel in ages and I, I think it feels like there's there's an interesting overlap in their reading there or that um, I wonder what what um, if not having read something or having read a romance leaves a space in which which a romantic relationship like that can emerge well I guess she's and that has been a, a theme in all my novels since the beginning uh, the, 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 the gap between reality and, and fiction and I think somehow Ivona stands for well she lives in a fiction in a way mm. even her love story is a fiction somehow and she does this like kind of a diary where she puts photographs of him and even photographs of couples from advertisements mm. in just to somehow pretend that they're a couple they're a so she she lives in a fiction I think and he somehow he doesn't want that he wants to see the world as it is mm. so that's I guess the main difference between them but uh, you're right that this love story can only take place in in her fictitious world doesn't really have a space in his world. Just to talk a little more about Alex um, and his focus on the real world around him, um, there's a section in the novel where he um, focuses on a crow taking, um, having a fight with a hawk in the sky. There's another section later on where he's weeding in a garden and Sonia's watching him and he kind of delights in pulling up all of these rotten roots and getting into the sort of ectoplasm of it. And his connection with the natural world right I, I don't want to give too much away about the novel not that this is something you can give away but that he feels um, a deep and uh, kind of searing connection to the natural world around him and I think that's mirrored in the prose which is very very spare 
and it doesn't have there's not a lot of um uh there aren't a lot of flips in the pros you know it's it's beautifully beautifully crystalline and i wonder if you could just talk a little bit about his connection to the natural world and seeing things as they are well i guess that's a trait that he has it's it's not me but that that's a trait that he has for me that that somehow to see beauty not only in in a sunset but also in in like small things and in, in even in a in a suburb or in a in a rotten plant or it's some kind of a, an addiction to to reality mm. i think that's something i have had all my life and and that's probably my whole literature is based on this kind of um describing the world and 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 uh also loving the world and and share this with with my readers to somehow open their eyes for things also mm. by i once com well i once separated two kinds of art and there is the, the art that uh well i mean there is art to secure us and art who unsecures us mm. is, is there a word for that um renders us makes us more insecure or, or in a way yeah and mm. then by doing that opening our eyes to to the in solitude but also to the beauty of the world mm. so living in this in this plushy romantic world that Iwona lives is to me like uh, not living at all mm. and to bring in Sonia now Alex's wife I think that she occupies another end of the spectrum in a, in a certain kind of way because Alex you feel like is is deeply rooted in in seeing things as they are in this love of the real as you as you say um and Sonia is is extremely accomplished and very um bright and sort of ambitious and yet there's this curious artificiality about her and that she she wants to um in a similar way to Ivana but sort of at the other end of the spectrum she wants to place the world in a very comfortable little box she presents Alex with that wooden um model of a house that they'll live in mm. and everything right down to her haircut there's a moment when she comes back and she's got very short cropped hair and he can suddenly see that she's sort of in charge of her appearance in, in this quite um uh bold kind of way and mm. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how she perceives reality and the sort of strictures that she places around it as you see it. Well, she always also somehow lives in a fiction, I think. She has the fiction that she can change the world and that she can uh, better people by building better houses for them. That's more or less the point of view of Le Corbusier, whom she admires, that you can somehow clean out all the old stuff, all the 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 unconscious and, and all the dirty stuff in our minds and, and build clean, well-lit houses and people will be changed by that and that's just not how it works, of mm. course. So she's... Uh, but I think it's in a way it's also fiction that she lives in. The funny thing was when the book came out, I had... Even before the book came out, I had about three journalists who s told me that they were married to a Sonia. I think there are lots of Sonias in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't very happy. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I think she's very. Um, she can be quite cold in her way and quite rigid, but um, I and seems to. Um, there's this very curious moment in the novel when um, they agree to um, adopt the child, which feels like it's it. It's a certain amount of w that um, view that she has of the future kind of taking hold, but it's also his. I think probably a certain amount of, of 
self-consciousness or, or remorse or something um, and but they, they seem to collaborate at these strange moments and they seem to reach towards um, an idealised view of the future together mm. and Alex can't really he can't fully deny that can he I mean that's partly why um, he's in this situation that yeah. even though Sonia is um, very um, uh, she can be quite um, commanding or domineering he he likes that view that she presents because it's yeah cleaner. I mean she's not she's not a bad woman I had always to speak for her when when uh, I spoke to to people that many mm. people think she's a terrible person but she's not I mean she's she's just quite efficient but she has to be because he's not so in a way she's just um, taking over and and uh, they have a, I think they have a quite a good life together I mean they have this company that works well in the beginning they uh, get along well I mean they they can talk they can uh, it's just that something lags they, they, I guess the relationship is more like a relationship between friends mm. there is no passion and there is I don't know I couldn't say there is no love but there is a different kind of love mm. there is no love like you would get it from Ivona mm. there's a moment when um, uh, she's returned from a trip and Alex kisses her and he sees them kissing in the mirror and it's he, I think the line is something like that the, the idea of them kissing in the mirror is more exciting than in, in the real life and mm. I think that, that there's that strange kind of shadow play that happens with his desires for, for Sonia where he can see her objectively as an extremely attractive woman and mm. she, he knows that in many ways he's the sort of um the prom king and queen you know they mm. they are the very clean cut epitome of of um as you said the the kind of um uh ideal couple the 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 bright young things and yet he only seems to be able to experience her passionately as a kind of shadow of herself mm. i guess that what happens i mean we all see ourselves through the eyes of others i think we because we don't see ourselves well, in the mirror we do, but, but it's it's quite difficult to see ourselves. So we all somehow look or try to see us through the eyes of others and mm. think, what do they think? I, not not uh, well, we 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 uh, have this image that other people might have from us, and and I I think they are a perfect couple in a way, and I know quite a few couples like that who somehow we think they they are playing a role almost. They are playing the role of the perfect little family, and 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 um, maybe you can live like that. I mean, it's not it's not probably not a bad life, mm. but as I said, it's it lacks something. I mean, because you cannot always. There is a, a moment when you go inside and you close the door, and then it's just the two of you, and and there are no eyes that see you. Maybe if you live in a building like the Corbusier, there is a big window, so people can still see you. But in a way, there is a moment when when you are on your own and then maybe the questions start whether this is really what you wanted mm. or whether it's just a, a nice image or a nice uh, a nice fiction mm. I just want to talk a little more about ugliness and buildings in particular because both of the main characters, well two of the main characters in this um, novel are architects and buildings are very very important and we begin um, um, Alexander's living, or they're both living, Sonia and Alexander are both living in the old Olympic village, which is this sort of um, 
strangely decayed um, after the fact kind of place where um, obviously it, w it had a very clearly defined purpose once but now mm. it just feels like the shell of something well it doesn't exist anymore they they broke it down just oh, really? when, I, when I went there to see it the half of it was already gone and now everything is gone they build a new one oh so it's uh, it doesn't exist anymore this is what's going to happen to London in a few years time and, um, <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> but um, I I wonder um uh, yeah there's this strange um, y it's a university kind of moldering sort of slightly um, gross kind of place um, and yet he seems to be in a way kind of at home there and he I think at one point when he describes his ideal home to Sonia um, she says, oh, you know, you just want to live in a cave because that sounds like a cave. I think mm. he describes having shelter over his head and, um, uh, a sh you know, um, light and heat and, and that's it. Mm. Really, that's all he wants. Um, and I started to think about the characters in the book as buildings and Sonia with her Corbusier kind of self-betterment and light and um, equipoise. Um, Alexander is a I suppose like one of his Rossi inspired kind of melancholic buildings mm. and then Ivana I, I started to think of her as a ruin or at least towards the end as a ruin but, but uh, you know perhaps a church that's ruined but mm. or and that there is this parallel between and there's a line a beautiful line in the book I think it's a half, sort of half remembered line about um, an architect who'd said that a building's only finished when it's in ruins that was Rossi that yeah. was Rossi yeah. okay um, and I just wondered if you'd seen any parallels there when you were writing it, and, and if you think about characters as things, as buildings, or yeah, in a way, and and the relation, or, or also the relationships you could see as a as a building. Sonia mm. just once says that her relationship with him is like a building where you have a, a bedroom and a living room, and and then he says there is no cellar in this relationship. Mm. There is no what mm. we talked about before. No, no. Um, well, passion or dark room where where things mm. happen that that are out of our control. So yeah, of course, and and uh, I think uh, I mean we we often forget how how present architecture is in our lives, mm. especially when you live in London. Ninety percent of what you see is architecture, so it's really mm. it really does something to us, and it does make a big difference whether you live in a new house or in an old house. Um, I live in an old house now that's maybe eighty eighty years old, and that does something to my life. I would be a different person if I would live in a, in a modern building. Mm. So it's not only the person as a building, but also the, the person changed by a building. Mm. Mm. And, and also you, the way you, the way you live, the way you say that the furniture you buy, the books you have, that somehow shows who you are, I guess. Maybe even more than psychology because we all are so aware of psychological facts that we somehow learned how to to hide and and uh but but when you look at the apartment of someone you can tell many things about his personality i think hmm. it's, it's interesting that um we seem to be talking about um certain aspects of sonia and ivana and alexander as though they were kind of fixed and I feel as though there's, um, I don't want to characterise it too broadly, but I think um, it feels to me um, a slightly older way of looking at things than, say, a Freudian way of looking at something. Or it seems to me an old European way of looking at people to say that 
they don't change that there is something quite irreducible about character um and i think uh it's interesting that in a certain way the characters in the novel they don't change exactly i think mm. what happens in in another way is that they they come to understand their own properties a little better uh and which seems to be kind of in keeping with what you're saying about ha about Alexander having a realization that this isn't what he wants. Sonia will probably always be Sonia, and Ivana will probably always be Ivana. Mm. And Alexander is the one who seems to be oscillating. Um, do you think that that's a? Do you think there's a false notion that in a novel people have to undergo some kind of change? I don't believe in in change. I don't believe that people change. I, I think that people can learn how to what to do with their personality, I mean, how to live a better life being as they are, so you can somehow learn to live with your mistakes or with your weaknesses. But I don't really believe that people change, that, that, that uh, I've, well, all the people I know don't change. And um, I think the only thing you can do, and that's probably what you said, what happens to Alex is that he somehow learns something about himself that he didn't know before. And that happens in many of my stories and, and novels that people somehow learn to live or to accept how they are and then make the best of it. Mm. And that's probably, to me, that would be the best we can do in our lives to somehow accept how we are and who we are and then just, well, make the best out of it. Well, great. I think that's a good note to end on. But um, And I'm happy to say that we brought you down to the Granta cellar as well so it, in the in the terms of the uh the rooms upstairs we this is where the passion lies hopefully it's where the books are yeah <laughs> thanks very much for joining me